Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. I am your host today, Al Fadi. Joining me here, my dear brother, Vocab. We're obviously not Tom Brown. We're obviously not Tom Brown, and uh, basically we are filling in here for Tom Brown. And uh, today we will be talking about a very interesting topic related to the Reformation. And um, many of you probably know that tomorrow, October 31st, represents the uh, celebration for the Reformation Day, which is actually officially a civic holiday in five states in Germany. But also the Reformation, uh, um, even though it means restoring something uh, and by removing any faults uh, or correcting any problems in it, the Reformation we're talking about it is the Reformation uh, Protestant Reformation movement uh, that was against the Catholic Church back in the sen- uh, 16th century, specifically in the year 1517, uh, and it really started it by uh, uh, the no uh, the so-called the 95 Theses by Martin Luther. And uh, with me here today, uh, vocab. Uh, who is a uh, dear brother, and we've been uh, co-hosting uh, this show um, m- multiple times in the past. Uh, Vocab is a staff on uh, Roosevelt Community Church. Uh, he is also a local apologist here in the area, and he hosts also the Urban Theologian Radio, where um, people can go to urbantheologianradio.com, I guess. Is that the website? Where you can uh, listen to all of his shows and uh it's also suffice to mention that, uh, like me, he's a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, a great school to go to, and uh, currently he's pursuing his Doctor of Ministry at Talbot. Vocab, welcome aboard, my brother, and can you give us an idea about why people need to know about this Reformation movement that will be celebrated tomorrow? Toute la somme presque de nostre, sagesse, je m'appelle Jean Calvin. Oui, oui, oui. Reformation. Oui. That was my John Calvin impersonation. Some of you may or may not know that John Calvin was a uh, kind of second generation reformer, a famous Frenchman. And tonight, I'm doing a Reformation party. This is why I'm qualified to be on the show today, Alfadi. Doing a Reformation party, dressing up like John Calvin. So I've been working on my French accent. I don't quite have it down. But, uh, in all seriousness, (laughs) the reason why people should know about the Protestant Reformation is because if you're an evangelical Christian, ultimately we owe our salvation to God. But it's important for us to take note of how God has used, yes, flawed, but still his, men and women throughout history, to bring about glory to his name. And the Reformation, in my view, is a key shining example of it. And they're really, in in many ways, our forefathers and foremothers of the faith, as far as faithfully handing it along to us. Uh, They helped restore the faith, and now here we are. In a lot of ways, a lot of us know about the gospel because of the, the stand that they took back in the 16th century. So, It's something we should know about. And as I mentioned, the Reformation really uh, is a celebration of the first movement by Martin Luther, uh, where basically he wrote the so-known, the 95 Theses, 
challenging, really, the authority of tradition and the Catholic Church, for that matter. When we come back, uh, we uh, are going to play a quick clip on that, and then we will continue the discussion. Along the way, I will counter the discussion by talking about the Islamic Reformation, such as the Wahhabi movement. Comment les cognoscences des deux et des nus sont chaussées rencontres et des moins et liaisons. Jean Calvin. And we'll be joined by John Calvin as well, right? Amen to that. <laughs> All right, see so you guys on the other side of the break talking about Reformation history, why you need to know it. Vocab Malone and uh, Al Fadi filling in for Tom Brown today. Well, welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am your host, Al Fadi, and with me here co-hosting this show today, Vocab. And I was going to say earlier that you can call us the uh, Alvo or the Voal show, since we're filling in for Tom Brown, who is in Israel. And uh, today we are going to be talking about the Reformation from both angles, from the Protestant Christian uh, point of view, and I will counter that by talking about the meaning of the Reformation from the Islamic point of view. And I mentioned uh, before the break that it's uh, tomorrow, October 31st, uh, is the day that marks the celebration of when Martin Luther in 1517, uh, who himself was a Catholic monk known as an Augustinian monk as well, uh, protested really the sales of the indulgences and other abuses by the Roman Catholic Church by nailing his famous 95 topics known as the uh, the 95 Theses. And uh, originally he didn't really want anything to do with debating the church, but it turned out to become one of the largest movements ever against the church and the establishment of those days. And as a result of this, of course, uh, today we celebrate uh, this Reformation by godly men like Martin Luther and John Calvin. Uh, Vocab, why don't you go ahead and... Uh, uh, add to this. Right. Well, let me let me play a clip. This was from the 2003 l- movie called Luther. It's a great movie. And before I play the clip, let me explain one thing what was going on at this time, specifically in Germany. What happened is Pope Leo X, who was the pope at the time, he needed some cash because he wanted to build some big buildings. So if you go to Rome, Italy, remember, okay, it's pretty, but also remember it was built on the backs of peasants. So he needed some money, so he allowed people to sell indulgences. Uh, and that I'll explain what those are in a second, as long as he got basically half the profits. So that was the racket going on. One famous indulgence seller, probably the most famous abuser of them all, was John Tetzel. And Tetzel claimed that as soon as the coin and the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I actually have a replication of an indulgence Signed by John Tetzel right now. If you're following us on Periscope at Urban Theologic, you can see it. But here's, a, here's what one would look like, actually. And people thought they would go to purgatory. It's, it was kind of like a pit stop on the way to heaven. And it was there's some suffering there, but it wasn't hell, but it was still suffering. And so the idea is you could get time taken off of loved ones who are suffering in purgatory by paying money to the church. And he would go around telling people this. Obviously, this is an abuse because only Jesus 
can pay the penalty of sin, and he already did. Uh, Al-Fadi, I have people on, on Periscope saying my argument would be stronger if I rapped it out. I actually do have a Martin Luther rap, and maybe I'll do it later if Al-Fadi lets me. So this made Luther angry and led to the nailing of the 95 Thesis, which I want to play the clip right now. To Albert of Mainz, Father in Christ and most illustrious prince, forgive me that I should dare to write to you. I make bold because it is my duty to serve you and to warn you of the crooked practices of those who claim to represent your grace. Christ did not command the preaching of indulgences, but of the gospel. You gotta love that clip. So absolutely. So obviously from the clip, we hear Martin Luther talking about something that goes against the teaching of the Bible. So what was it then that the Reformation represents? The Reformation represented a return to the sources of Christianity. Ad fontes was actually what they said in Latin. Back to the sources is the idea. And of course, a big one is sola scriptura. And this idea of indulgences and even this whole meritorious system that Rome had set up where you basically needed to come to them on a regular basis to kind of get your grace hand out or else you could fall into sin and die and go to hell. He stood against that. And so it was through faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, sola scriptura. It was a return to all of those very important things. And what Martin Luther did when he nailed the 95 Thesis, he says, here are 95 things I disagree with the Catholic Church that are happening right now. Let's debate them. I'm willing to debate anyone on these topics. And so he just went to the chapel door there in Wittenberg, Wittenberg, Germany, nailed them to the door. And it was just basically a a kind of saying, I'll debate these topics. But the folks saw it on the chapel door, reprinted it because of the printing press. Martin Luther actually never really even intended that. He just wanted to debate this. Within two weeks, this stuff was all over Germany and people were reading it because he wrote it in German. And so they said, whoa, here's a, a monk, a professor of theology, calling out Rome. I think he might be right. Boom, sparked off the Reformation. So he was the original periscope, basically, on social media of his days. He was putting things on boards, putting things on bulletin boards before it was cool. And obviously he, uh, I don't know if people know this, that he wrote in his time and used the print press. Uh, to his advantage, more than any of the other reformers, by the way. Yeah, I mean, the invention of the printing press is really part of the technology needed to make the Reformation possible. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to disseminate information and literature to so many people so quickly, so cheaply at once, and even in their language. Uh, But the printing press was something that God providentially had in place at that time that made something like a Reformation possible within history, because all of a sudden it became a grassroots movement. It was no longer stuck to the elites. And that's a big thing of what happened, because once people realized that that they were being lied to, basically, uh, there was a popular uprising. It wasn't always pretty. There was something called the Presence Revolt, where uh, there was a lot of violence and the, the, there was a harsh reaction, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't always you know, this perfect flow. But at the end, it resulted in uh, a schism where the Protestants, those who protested, broke away from Rome and no longer were under the pope's authority, but were again returned to the place they belong under authority of Jesus Christ in the Bible. 
Amen. So let me play the devil's advocate. What would you say to someone who might say, well, uh, that was going against the traditions that were taught in a church? Right. And of course, that's what a lot of cardinals like Cardinal Cachetan and um, many of the other people said to Luther, even Eck himself. They would say, look, you can't dispute and debate this. This has already been decided for you. You can't go against the creeds and the councils and this pope and this canon law and the interpretation of it. Who are you to do that? And in fact, they called him before the most important people in Germany at that time, uh, something called the Diet of Worms or the Diet of Worms, if you're going to kind of say it Germanish. And they demanded that he take back what he had said, and they demanded that instead of saying this stuff in his writings, he would go back under the authority of Rome, and he would not do it. So once again, I want to just reiterate what the vocab is saying. This movement was biblical. I don't want anyone to think that Martin Luther or Calvin or the likes um, came up with something new or straight away from the teaching of the Bible. They're actually right. taking people back to the Bible because Re- the Bible teaches in Ephesians 2, 8, for instance, yeah. and 9, that yeah. we are saved by grace, yeah. by faith alone. Yeah. So there is no place for tradition or works for that matter. Yeah, that's why it's a, it's a reformation. So really, Martin Luther and a lot of the other guys initially didn't want to break away from Rome they wanted Rome to adjust itself in light of the truth, but Rome would not do it. Rome would not have it. They had too much vested, too much at stake, too much pride, whatever. And so instead, there was a breakaway action that happened, and um, that's what you have. I have the quick clip, if you want to play from the Martin Luther movie, where he is at the Diet of Worms and gives his answer, which is this. Is Unless it- I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. This is a tense scene. If you could watch it, I wish you could see it right now. I cannot. And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Great, powerful clip. And he said those words. Because he was asked to recant, basically, yeah. and obviously he refused. Now, let me let me flip the table here and, and talk about Uh, the meaning of Reformation from an Islamic standpoint. Many times people think that the word Reformation in Islam, especially today, that means it's really uh, turning Islam into a peaceful religion rather than what we know today as the ISIS and the Al-Qaeda and Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram and the likes. When in fact, uh, I'm going to probably drop uh, uh, bad news here, It is actually Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda and ISIS are the ones who are reforming Islam as we speak. Because the word reformation, as we just heard, uh, from the Protestant standpoint, which is no difference than for for any movement, it's restoring things back to their original. And in this case, the likes of ISIS, for instance, want to restore things back to their original way of teaching. So... 
Uh, I'm not surprised at all as a former Muslim myself that ISIS does what it does because that's exactly what Islam teaches at its sources, primary sources that is, whether the Quran that is considered to be the word of Allah, the God of Islam, or the Hadith and the Sunnah, which is the teaching of the Prophet of Islam. So this is something that we have to really keep in mind. And also, the Prophet of Islam taught that they will be mujaddidun or me uh, reformers, renewals, if you wish, that will arise uh, at the conclusion of every century. In fact, it's a, it's a hadith sahih in Surah Abu Dawood, and it's book number 37, and the name of the book is Kitab al-Malahim, or the Book of Wars, basically. It says that Allah raised for this community at the end of every hundred years the one who will renovate its religion for it. Hence, we have a number of Islamic reformers, by the way. And it wasn't just one or two. There were a lot of those reformers that uh, existed throughout the history of Islam. When we come back, I will continue to elaborate on this uh, so-called Islamic Reformation And we'll talk about the likes of the Wahhabi movement, for instance, and its origin and its foundation, and compare that to the Protestant Reformation. So, just so everyone can track with us, October 31st, that's tomorrow, is Reformation Day. We celebrate in the year 1517, Martin Luther first nailed the 95 Thesis, sparking the Protestant Reformation. And since you have a great background, Al-Fadi, in Islamic studies, being a former Muslim yourself, we're comparing and contrasting the Protestant Reformation with the Reformation that happened within Islam called the Wahhabist uh, movement. And so when we come back, we're going to give more information, more details. Maybe John Calvin will show back up. Don't know. We'll see. See you on the other side of the break. We are filling in for Tom Brown here on Koinonia 1360 KPXQ. XQ, don't go anywhere. Well, welcome back uh, to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, uh, Al-Fadi, and uh, with me here as a co-host today uh, is my dear friend, Vocab. And we have been talking today about the Reformation, and uh, Vocab uh, handled the uh, Protestant side of things from a Christian point of view about the meaning of Reformation. And I'm going to be giving you now a, um, a brief, uh, basically, um, info on the Reformation from an Islamic standpoint. And basically, uh, and Vokabi were asking me about, really, uh, is there such a thing as a Reformation in Islam? And the word is, yes, there is, if you take it back to its original teachings. Right. Not what we hear in the media lately that uh, Islam needs to be reformed. People think like reforming Islam meaning that it's modernizing Islam, but that's not the case. I think they mean deforming Islam, which uh, no religious Muslim in the right mind will agree to something like that. How did... Can I give an example? So, uh, you know the shooter that came out of Phoenix, Arizona that shot some... tried to shoot some people up in Texas when they drew Muhammad? Yes. I knew him, and so I had a few media people contact me and ask me about my relationship with him. Um, And during that time, they would say, how do we stop a guy like this from committing acts? You know, that type of thing. And I would just explain, like, he's just taking Islam more and more seriously as he studied the Quran more and more. That's right. And that's all that was really happening because they, would, they, they were saying, oh, he got radicalized. And I would say, 
Well, it depends what you mean by that. You might consider the teachings radical, radical, but he's just getting more and more serious about what Islam really is. And they said, oh, oh, so then Islam must need a reformation like the Protestants had. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they really took a reformation to mean a modernization of, of the religion. And their view of the Protestant Reformation was almost that it was a modernization, like uh, the Christianity adapting for the modern era or something like that. First of all, that's a misunderstanding what the Protestant Reformation was, I mean, in a lot of ways, the Protestant Reformation created the modern era. In fact, Martin Luther is to be said sometimes to be the last medieval man and the first modern man. Sometimes people say that in a way of talking about history. But if they understand that's, that's within Islam, oh, you need a Reformation for it to become modern, well, listen, we're saying Islam really already had its Reformation. It was something called the Wahhabist movement. And in fact, Wahhabi, the very word, has to do with those closest to the days of Muhammad. It kind of means like going back to the old school. Isn't that kind of what Wahhabi basically means? That's that's true. It uh, means Salafi movement. And really the Wahhabi uh, movement is the latest reformation, Islamic reformation, because there has been a number of them before. And I don't know if people know this or not, but for instance, there was a number of Mujaddidun or renewals or reformers uh, in almost every century of Islam, uh, very well-known people. Al-Basri, for instance, Al-Hassan al-Basri, one of the caliphs, uh, uh, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, uh, one of the schools of uh, uh, jurisprudence, Ash-Shafi, for instance, Ibn Hanbal. Ibn Hanbal, of course, uh, he has the Hanbali school, and Shafi has the Shafi'i school. And there's a number of those people that, in one way or another, they were reformers in the sense of taking back the interpretation of the Quran to its origin. And the focus that Vocab mentioned is the first three centuries, generations of Islam, the generation of the prophet, mm-hmm. the generation of the companion, and the generation of their followers. In other words, the first almost 300 years of Islam. And that's what the Wahhabi movement was based upon. It's named Wahhabi, by the way, after Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab who was really a religious reformers of his days around the 18th century uh, and A.D., and he formed a pact, a political, economical, and religious pact with the founder of the Saud family and the current, uh, basically, or modern-day Saudi Arabia. And the agreement was that Mohammed bin Saud will handle the political and economical side of things, and Mohammed bin Abdul Wahhab, known as al-Sheikh or the Imam, will handle the religious things. And in his days, he discovered that there were a lot of Muslims that were straying away from the pure oneness of God and the pure unity, basically, and the belief in unity, al-Tawheed, basically. And they began to add to that by going to the graves and uh, calling upon the dead saints and calling upon the prophet and invoking names of uh, certain people. and uh, So like a folk Islam. Exactly, and having some objects to fend off bad dreams and demons and things like right. that. So Ibn Abdul Wahab looked at this and said, all of these are acts of idolatry, and therefore I am going to consider anyone who does it to be an apostate or an infidel, even if they call themselves Muslim, because that's not what Islam teaches. Right. And indeed, uh, according to the history, he gave people an ultimatum, and he began to fight and kill the so-called Muslims uh, that he considered in his own interpretation not to be Muslims at all. In other words, he wasn't giving him a time to ask for forgiveness and repent, but no, to him, it's either or. You repent immediately or you will be killed 
and he cleansed Arabia completely, went all the way, to, and has a battle in Iraq, southern uh, modern-day Iraq, and so on and so forth. This is why the Wahhabi movement has been so uh, strong or stronghold in Saudi, and it sprang off from there to everywhere in the world, by the way. I mean, it's, uh, its origin in Saudi Arabia, modern-day Saudi Arabia at least, but you will find this movement behind any uh, Salafi movement anywhere in the world. They finance it. They build a mosque for it. They build the schools for it. They even sometimes give scholarships to some imams to come and study it in Saudi Arabia and send them back to become religious leaders. Most of those so-called jihadis that join ISIS today or al-Qaeda adhere to this movement. Right. Yeah. For example, this guy mentioned Elton Simpson, who was one of the shooters that went down to Texas from here, from here in Phoenix. When I first met him, I said, oh, it sounds like you're a Wahhabist. And he rolled his eyes at me and he said, Wahhabist, that's just what the Orientalists and the British scholars call us. No, I'm a Salafi. I'm a Salafi Muslim. He didn't really like the term Wahhabist because I think he felt like it put too much emphasis on a, a specific person. But he was saying, look, I'm just trying to be an Orthodox Muslim. You know, that's a name you've invented. Maybe he felt similar to, uh, even though I would consider myself reformed, I, I'm not in love with the idea of being called Calvinist because I don't want people to get the wrong idea that, like, I'm following Jean Calvin or something. Oh, does somebody say my name? I'm afraid if there's a French person listening to us that they might call the station and say that you have just insulted them or something. Comment allez-vous? So this is the major difference then between the Protestant Reformation and the Islamic Reformation. And yeah. the other important thing about the Wahhabi movement, it's really based on another movement. Abdul Wahhab based it on one of his uh, basically um, role models, Ibn Taymiyyah, known as the Sheikh al-Islam or the leader of Islam or the Imam of Islam around the 14th century, who basically grew up in Syria and lived uh, there for most of his life and died there as well. Ibn Taymiyyah was a reformer of his times against the Mongol, who, by the way, um, basically invaded the uh, Abbasid dynasty north, and they converted themselves to Islam, but because they didn't come from an Arab background, and they did not really adhere purely to the teaching of Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah issued a fatwa saying that it is okay to rise and rebel against the caliph, out of which, by the way, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi right now is doing exactly the same thing in ISIS by claiming that all of the Islamic leaders in the Middle East are no Muslims at all. And that comes from the Ibn Taymiyyah, basically, movement, which inspired the Wahhabi movement. One thing we noticed, the Protestant movement from the Christian standpoint mm -hmm. actually did not use violence. Right. The Wahhabi movement and the likes use violence and use jihad to implement its teachings. Right. Maybe here's a, you know, we just played that clip, Al-Fadi, where Martin Luther was at the place called the Diet of Worms. And by the way, at our Reformation party tonight, we're going to do a Diet of Worms. Because diet means meeting, and worms is the name of the city. But we're going to have this thing where the kids have to get gummy worms out of chocolate pudding and whoever gets the most worms wins that prize. So it's the diet of worms. Anyways, it's for dessert. But 
after the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther left, and everyone thought he was going to be snatched up and killed. I mean, that because that's what happened to all the guys who tried to spark reformations before him, really. You know, the Catholic Church was not too nice to these guys. And Luther was ready for that, basically. So what happens is his friends kidnapped him, took him to a castle, isolated out in the middle of nowhere. He stayed there for a year and some, so things kind of cooled down. And then when he came out again, did so under the guise or disguise under Sir George the Knight. And so... He had to be secretive, and his friends had to protect him, and this is the reason why he was able to do this reform. So he was persecuted is my point, and he sent people out, uh, for example, with Bible translations because it was essentially illegal to translate the Bible in the common vernacular, and then to transport it across borders was even worse. His Some of his friends got killed for doing this, and John Calvin himself was kicked out of France because of persecution. So yeah, he's a Frenchman, but... We associate him with Geneva, which is in Switzerland, of course, because that's where he wound up when he was on the run from from authorities in, in, in France. So a lot of these reformers ended up being persecuted. Ulrich Zwingli uh, had to defend the Swiss and died in a battle when Roman Catholic armies were coming into to where he was uh, reforming there, uh, where he was. So they were persecuted. They weren't – now, that's not, that's not to say they were, they were perfect, obviously. We're not saying they weren't perfect, but there's a big difference in uh, sort of the, the reformers of Protestant Christianity and the reformers uh, within Islam. And we're just trying to make a compare and a contrast because here's our point. A lot of modern people will say Islam needs a reformation. They don't really know what they're saying because a real reformation – Technically speaking, means back to the sources. What we're saying is that has happened, and when you see Boko Haram and ISIS and a lot of these other groups, they're products of the Reformation that has already happened within Islam. Is that an accurate assessment of what we're, the, what we're trying to do here today? Absolutely, and uh, we want to be very, very clear that the Protestant Reformation, the Christian Reformation of the 16th century— was a movement back to the basics of the Bible, which does not teach any violence, whereas the Islamic Reformation is a movement back to the teaching of the Quran and the Sunnah, which teaches enforcement by jihad and violence. Right. Although, like we said, they weren't perfect, and Martin Luther himself was known to give quite the hardcore insult. As we go out to break, give me the time if you can. I'm going to share some insults that Martin Luther gave from his pen. You are a toad eater and a fawner, Martin Luther said to his opponents. You are a brothel keeper and the devil's daughter in hell. Everyone can see that such a sentence must have been blown into you by all the existing devils with one breath. So that's some of the stuff that Martin Luther wrote. So we're not saying that they're perfect, but we are saying that they were reformers who God used and he still uses flawed people today. We come back, Alfadi and Vocab Malone filling in for Tom Brown. Going to talk more about the Protestant Reformation, comparing it to the Reformation that happened within Islamic history. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am your host, Al Fadi, co-hosting the show today uh, on behalf of Tom Brown with my dear friend, uh, Vocab. And uh, we've been talking about the Reformation from both the Protestant standpoint, the Christian uh, viewpoint, and the Islamic viewpoint. And uh, right now, I'm going to turn it over to Vocab to talk a little bit more about the who of the Protestant Reformation and the why. Well, one person we talked about 
was Martin Luther. And I think one way I can talk about the who here is by wrapping a verse that uh, there's an ancient manuscript we found now, Fadi, where Martin Luther wrote a rap in German, and now it's been translated in English, and I have it right here in front of me. This is the first time this will be heard Do you really anywhere. have evidence that he rapped it himself? I don't know if he rapped it, but we know he wrote it, and here is the English translation. Peter Piper picked a leper, a man without a sweater, said to give some cheddar to the priest to make it better. Your Aunt Marguerite is stuck in purgatory. Tetzel told a tale, went another false story. People couldn't read, but they heard the oratory. Indulge in sins like com- and perjury. Indulge in sins, get away scot-free. But that's blasphemy and a false prophecy. Wycliffe and Husson, now they're coming after me. An army of priests pushed the death penalty. Rome survives off a false forgery. October 31, 1517, Wittenberg door in a chapel, Germany. Reform the church, not divided in pieces. Please discuss my 95 thesis. Why won't the Pope trust the words of Jesus? No dialogue, I'm tied to a log, a rope and a lighter and a fire like a hog. Thank God that the king was saving me, taking me and placing me in a place to be. Study Greek and peace, translate in a tree. Don't speak Latin, we're German, homie. We can now have the word of God for all to see, just we... Wait until they read Matthew chapter 23. My name is Martin Luther and the gospel is for free. <laughs> well, I, am, um, I have a lot of doubts that he did talk it like this. But nevertheless, who else was involved in the Reformation after the inspiration of Martin Luther? Obviously, there were people before him who right. were burning the stick like John Hess, for instance. Yeah, so I mentioned Huss. I mentioned Wycliffe and all of that. So uh, John Calvin is uh, the reason why he um, is sometimes... The difference with John Calvin and Martin Luther is Martin Luther started it off, sparked it, but then John Calvin was the first person to really systematize the doctrine. So he had a book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and it was really the first detailed, chronological, logically ordered, systematic theology of the Christian faith. And it was super popular. It just flow. He went through so many editions. It was so popular. And I encourage people to read it. Yeah, it's great. It's actually sometimes, you know, John Calvin gets a bad reputation by rumors. But if you actually pick up the Institutes and read it, I think most people will be shocked with how pastoral and how warm it is in places. He sort of, it's clear he burns with the love for the passion of God's glory. And if you read through some of the Institutes, I think you can see it. doesn't mean it's not academic in places, but uh, it's really, you can tell he's a pastoral theologian. And he was a preacher. I mean, he preached through the Bible. And so people still to this day use his commentaries, for example. Uh, you'll see those brown and gold sets of commentaries. That's John Calvin. So very famous because of the way he systemized the Reformed doctrine. Um, and then there was Ulrich Zwingli, less known, but did reforming in other places. And John Knox is another important name, Scottish reformer. He came and visited Calvin in Geneva, was so impressed with the way things were running in Geneva, wanted to do the same thing back in Scotland. And that Scottish Presbyterianism actually is one of the most influential things in the founding of America because a lot of that type of – a lot of those types of folks ended up coming over, Scottish Presbyterians and even uh, sort of Calvinized Anglicans later on, English Puritans. And so this is actually all very, uh, very tied into us. You know, when you study the Puritans and study the pilgrims, you see these people carried around the Geneva Bible. They read John Calvin. They quoted him. They were very familiar with the Reformers, and there's a lot of influence in the way they thought the theology was applied in their lives. And so um, those are some names. The other names I'll just mention briefly, they're folks who were kind of the second generation. So Theodore Beza 
was Calvin's successor in Geneva. Philip Melanchthon was Luther's successor there in Germany. There's others, but uh, Turretin's another guy. Those were more the academic or scholastics, and they tended to systematize and put things in in order. Uh, the, The guys who first kicked it off were, especially Luther himself, were the fiery personalities who were able to really stand against the world. And uh, that's, you know, where I was reading those quotes, those insults that uh, Martin Luther had. You know, he had the personality to be able to, to do what not many men could do, but praise God that he used him in that way. So those are some of the names. Amen. And um, before uh, we, we uh, finish, I'd like really to visit now uh, a very important aspect of the Reformation. First, let's start with the Protestant side of thing, the lasting effects of this movement. The lasting effects of the Protestant Reformation are that you no longer have Christianity being controlled by Rome. And that's a big, big deal. Um, You still have, of course, the Roman Catholic Church, where the Pope, he's considered the Vicar of Christ. He's called the Holy Father. Do we understand? That's actually blasphemous to call a man Holy Father. That's this. These are Trinitarian titles, ultimately. In light of what Jesus even taught. Yes, seriously. And the the other big thing about no longer being into Rome is you're no, no longer under Rome's false doctrine of justification. So a big, important, modern-day relevance and application is that people have the, the, the freedom to know what it truly means to be justified. Where Christ paid the penalty for sins once and for all. And we don't have to continually go to Mass to sort of fill up the grace tank when it gets empty. Now, we do need to repent. Our whole life is to be one of repentance. But it's not because we're losing our salvation and we need to go to some institution to get it back or get a piece of it back or however the system works within Rome. It's so we could keep a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. But he said it is finished. And Rome really takes away from the sufficiency, sufficiency and the completeness of the sacrifice of Jesus. So this is important. This is a gospel issue of the day. Lives ultimately hang in the balance. And so the modern-day implication is we can have a gospel-believing church that preaches the true justification by faith alone, by grace alone, that all the focus is on Jesus, and and that's the message that saves men and women, not any other message. And so it's very important today for everything from missions to how you set up your churches to how you read your Bible. It's very important today, even now, the Protestant Reformation. And what I want to tell people, we're talking about sola scriptura. It is the Word of God, and the Word of God does not change, does not pass away, and no one have the authority nor the power to add or delete from the Word of God. What I mean by that when you tell me the Pope— decided that now Rome and the Catholic Church can do this or that. This is a human being who is fallible, who is, just like the rest of us, sinner in need of a Savior. And whether he is saved or not, that's for God to decide. I don't know the man's heart. But nevertheless, I cannot allow fable men to dictate to me how I should walk the walk and live my life because the Word of God is the guide that I have. The same thing applies to, really, the Islamic Reformation. Many times, these young men that blow themselves up to pieces are relying on the word of mere fable men who are telling him that you're going to go to heaven, that you are yourself going to be in paradise. Well, my question is this. Why doesn't this imam who is convinced that these young men are going to go to heaven doesn't blow himself up himself? 
if he's really that convinced about it. Why do we have so many interpretation about verses in the Quran? Why do we do we have so many schools of uh, jurisprudence? Why do we have so many so-called uh, commentators that agree and disagree on everything? If the word of God, according to the teaching of the Quran, is purely the word of the true God, simply because it's given by a human being, written by humans, and people oftentimes believe in the false teachings of human, which is unfortunate. And that's why this is very important. In the Islamic side of things, here's the lasting effect. It's creating what we have today, the ISIS and the jihadis and the bloody movements that are causing chaos. And it's unfortunate because right now, as we speak, you're watching Muslims debating whether ISIS represents Islam or not. Right. And this is coming from within the Islamic community. And uh, uh, the sad reality is that ISIS, according to the teaching of Islam, they are the Puritans of Islam. Right. And so we, we, when we look at Islam and when people say it needs a reformation, what they are trying to say when they say that is they mean Islam needs a liberalization or a so-called modernization, a so-called enlightenment. But here's what I want people to realize, that when you have Western culture or society come in contact with traditionally Islamic societies, Western ideas, so-called, whatever it is that people think, comes in contact, and including a lot of technology that comes out of uh, the West. It do- Let's think about the Internet, for example. It doesn't result in Islam uh, getting softer or something like that. Here's what I mean by that. What has led more and more to the spread of a more so-called radical form of Islam, to Salafi Islam, to Wahhabist understandings of Islam? It's the Internet. It actually acts as a gateway, as a, as a vehicle for these ideas. And when people were able to see this understanding of Islam is closer to the source documents, closer to the model and the message of the Prophet Muhammad, they become more and more convinced by it. And so, for example, Elton Simpson, who went out of Phoenix to go shoot some folks up in Texas because they drew cartoons of Muhammad, how did he have contact with ISIS recruiters? It was through Twitter. That was the way. It was through Twitter. That's an example. And if you look at, at, at this, you'll realize even ISIS itself, you can go online right now and, and download ISIS's digital. They have like a monthly magazine, basically. It's a publication. It is super slick. The graphics and uh, the way it presents things and what it talks about is basically a publication of ISIS. And you can read about what they think, but it is totally modern and great looking and, and, and everything. So my point is that mere technology doesn't change the ideas and mere, you know, Western liberal so-called values and all that stuff. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that will change hearts and minds of those within Islam. And that's why we need the full-orbed gospel that the Reformation returned to the church to be able to preach that and not some system where we're telling the Muslim, hey, uh, bow down to this statue and pay this money and and, uh, pray to this saint. Instead, we can point them straight to Jesus. God's only son. That's Reformation gospel right there. So um, we got one more segment. Is that right? Yes, we do. All right, one more segment. Well, which is a short one. Yeah, it is a short one. So on today's show, we are really trying to inform you about the Protestant Reformation. And let me just make a little invite. This is true. If you want to come to my Reformation party tonight, if you have a youth, so it's for 7th through 12th graders, really, 
and they don't have anything to do tonight, and and you're willing to drive them there, if you message me at vocabmalone at gmail.com, vocabmalone.gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm at Twitter. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. Just type in vocabmalone. I'll give you the directions of where this Reformation party is, and I'll be okay with you dropping off your 7th to 12th grader. We're going to play Reformation games, learn Reformation history, eat some Reformation food, have some Reformation fun. Well, welcome back uh, to our final segment uh, for the Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, uh, sitting here with Vocab, and we've been talking about the Reformation from both perspectives, the Christian point of view and the Islamic point of view. And uh, since this is the final segment, Vocab, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, when you read the book of Hebrews, you see multiple places where the author points men and women of God to men and women of God who lived in previous centuries. Not only that, but we looked at the book of Acts. What is that? It's an early church historical account, the history of the early church. When you go back to the Old Testament, not only do you see actual sections called the historical books, but you see multiple books whose whole genre is to document history and what God is doing in history. My point is, that God cares about history, and so should we, especially with what God is doing through his glorious organism called the church. That's why you should care about church history. That's why you should care about the Protestant Reformation. It'll broaden your perspective and give you one more thing to praise God about. And so that's why I'm glad I had this opportunity to talk about it on today's show. Thank you, Alfadi, for the invite. Give me a chance to talk about the Reformation. You're welcome, brother. And I want to leave my Muslim listeners with this invite. Uh, The true Islamic Reformation is for my Muslim people to turn back to their Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is my invite to you. In Romans 117, it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, which is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It is the power of God, basically. And the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And in 1 Peter, it teaches that we should be like living stones. Therefore, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And with that said, I want to invite you as my Lord invites you. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the true invitation for you to reform by coming back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as I did and many other former Muslims like myself. Well, uh, it's been a great uh, show here today. So thank you for listening to Koinini on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I've had a great time with my dear brother and guest, as always, Vocab. And you can call us the Voal Show if you like. (laughs) And uh, we were sitting here for our brother, Tom Brown. And if you want to reach me, myself, you can contact me through Ministries at gmail.com. And you can also check out my show, Let Us Reason, uh, 